into the party wagon and hold on to your pizza. Next up, Enemies Old, Enemies New. This is issue number 5 of the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book. The scene, a dark alley. Splinter's silhouette crouches over the ledge of a tall building. The moon rises full behind him as he looks down on some of Old Hobbs' gang members uh, holding guns. Splinter narrates a little bit. The scene playing out below me is eerily familiar, like a chapter from a story that has already been written. The men complain it's too cold for this, and Splinter stealthily takes out one of the goons. Flashback to a similar scene in feudal Japan. A ninja scurries across a decorative rooftop. Unbeknownst to him, a man creeps up behind him and slits his throat with a swipe of his sword. We see that man, Splinter was, Hamato Yoshi, standing in his, his actual body. And he thinks to himself, in many ways very different, yet many ways very the same. This panel resembles the opening scene. It continues for both the story being told is one of a father and of his four sons. Back in the sewer, four turtles square off against Raphael. Well, what you chumps waiting for? Raph asks. Mikey and Donnie attack. Donnie throws a jump kick while Mikey punches at Raph, who dodges the kick and then blocks his punch and counter-strikes Michelangelo. Leonardo attacks from behind, putting Raphael into a full Nelson headlock. Raph counters this with a over-the-shoulder throw. Donnie remarks, Color me impressed. Mikey adds, Yeah, dude, that was epic. I think you knocked the enamel out of my grill. Leo says to Raph, It's true, Raphael. You're really picking it up fast. You've come a long way in the months just from training with us. Raph thanks him all and says, Thanks, guys. It's weird. It's like my body already knows uh, what to do, you know? Um, that probably sounds totally whack, huh? Donatello responds to him, Not at all. Matter of fact, it was the same for us. It's like we're just fine-tuning it from dawn to dusk every day. Mikey confirms that they do train all day, every day. But Leo adds that Mikey spends his nights stuffing his face and reading comics, so he really can't complain. Raphael says that he doesn't. it doesn't really bother him so much even that he just wants to know that when he gets his own weapon, uh, because they all have their weapons. Mikey says it took about four months before Master Splinter let them have their weapons. They wonder where their father is at that moment. Back in the alleyway, Splinter crouches behind a dumpster to avoid capture from two of Hobbs' men. He grabs a soda can and then tosses it to distract the two men. He mentions how this game of cat and mouse is a little game of actual cat and rat. The men take off after the sound of the can, leaving it clear for Splinter to descend into the fire escape and evade them. Back in Japan, we get some more exposition from Splinter. His name, Hamato Yoshi. He lived in feudal Japan, and like me, he was a homeward bound carrying crucial supplies as well as special gifts for his sons, and he too was hunted. Two ninjas sweep the city clean and give an all-clear, but he tells them to keep searching because their master will not accept failure. The hunter served Yoshi's sworn enemy, a ninja called Orokosaki, ruler of the fearsome clan known as the Foot. He slices through a clawed ninja. It's not always been this way. Once Yoshi and Saki were clan brothers, until Saki chose to lead the Foot Clan down a power-hungry path of dishonor, domination, and destruction. In a mission briefing, Saki commands his foot soldiers to murder not only their rivals, but the entire village as well, leaving no survivors and sending a message to all about the ruthlessness of the Foot Clan. Hamato Yoshi disagrees, and then tells him he will not abide the wholesale slaughter of an entire village. An enraged Orokosaki decrees that Yoshi's defiance was treason and unforgivable deed and sentenced him to be killed at the hands of the Foot Clan. Not long after this, we see a small home with three ninja approaching it stealthily. Hamada Yoshi's wife, Tang Shen, puts her four sons to sleep for the evening. They are distinguished uh, each by a different color kimonos that they wear. So your blue, red, purple, and orange. Yoshi has become an outcast in his clan, but in that he was not alone. Yoshi was husband to the beautiful Tang Shen and father to four small sons. Saki declared them all complicit Yoshi's so-called treachery. As such, their punishment was to be the same as his, death. Tang pleads for her son's lives. Please, no, not my babies, please. And she is stabbed through the chest with a blade. The assassins prepare to attack the children as Yoshi appears in the doorway. Devils, what have you done? Twin katana blades in his hands, now wearing full traditional armor. The ninjas attack. He defeats them stealthily and violently. He rushes to his dying bride's side. With her dying breath, she asks that Yoshi not seek revenge for her death, but rather take their sons and flee and live. The boys wake to see their mother die in her husband's arms. Yoshi accepts her wish and takes the boys with him. The very small 
one holds on to Michelangelo. And so Hamato Yoshi fled with his sons in a broken heart, leaving behind his dead wife and vanishing into the mountains. And for a time they were safe, and life was better. Focus on a new setting in a hockey rink. Casey speaks with his coach while his team practices on the ice. The coach tells Casey he needs to do better, that he needs to keep his grades up and get off of academic probation and back on the ice. Casey says he will try. The coach suggests he gets a tutor. Coach, not knowing Casey's situation, tells him to speak with his folks. Yeah, my folks, right, as Casey walks away, seeming to be uh, holding back some strong emotions. In the common area, April holds up a piece of paper while her friend tells her she needs to hurry up or she'll miss her ride upstate for the holiday break. The note says, Honor student, offering tutoring, any subject in exchange for self-defense lessons, available immediately after break. If interested, contact April at, and there's a number, with several take a number slips underneath. Casey walks past April on his way into the building just as she leaves with her friend for the winter break. Back to the present day in Splinter, hiding in an alley. One last man patrols, looking for any sign of Splinter, but he has taken him out with a swift strike to his ribs with Splinter's walking stick. Splinter then silently slips down the nearby manhole. Back in Japan, some time has passed, approximately 11 years. Yoshi has been raising his sons in the mountains. His sons have grown, and his hair has turned gray. We see the boys, each in their own colors, practicing with their weapons. Leonardo with his twin katana, Raphael with his size, Donatello with his bow staff, and Michelangelo with his dual nunchaku. Yoshi returned for his sons from a trip with food and sweets. Mikey takes no time at all to dig into the fruit that his father brought, but unfortunately he has been followed, and now Orokosaki in full medieval shredder armor has his, him surrounded by an army of foot ninjas. Yoshi had indeed returned, bringing with him food, sweets, which were a rare treat for his beloved children. It was the last moment of happiness Yoshi would share with his sons, the next scene is of the four brothers lined up on their knees in front of the foot soldiers, preparing to kill them on Saki's word. Yoshi on his knees across from them, forced to bear witness to the deed. As Rokosaki passed a final sentence on Hamato Yoshi and his four sons, Yoshi prays. He prayed to Buddha, all the powers in the universe for justice, prayed that he and his sons would be re reunited someday, and that he would one day be able to face Rokosaki warrior to warrior. His sons look at their father for strength. The ninjas pass sentence with a simultaneous swipe of each of their swords. Yoshi watches and witnesses his last word, curses Orokosaki for 11 seasons I have honored my wife's last wish and avoided confrontation with you in order to keep our children safe. But now, as my sons are dead, I am no longer bound by that promise. Know this. When we meet again, I will destroy you. Saki says, fool, we will never meet again. And with his own sword, kills Hamato Yoshi. And thus ends Hamato Yoshi, and his sons were no more. Yet the tale does not end. It has now become one of new hope, new dreams. Back in the sewer lair, Master Splinter has returned. He tells them he has brought gifts and asks them to gather round. Master Splinter reveals an important bit of information about the turtle's masks here. As you searched so diligently for Raphael, you each wore the color that was always his favorite, a constant reminder of who he was and why we so urgently sought him. Now that he has been returned to us, it is time for each of you to display, display your own true selves. We are a clan, and yet we are all individuals, possessed of unique qualities that should never be forgotten. Please accept these gifts as gratitude from a very proud father. He hands Michelangelo an orange bandana. Cool! Donatello a purple one. Oh, wow! And Leonardo a blue one. Thank you, Sensei. He tells them to try them on. And for the first time, we see all four turtles in their corresponding color masks. He has one last gift for Raphael. Your abilities have advanced beyond my expectations in the short time that you've been back with us. And you have more than earned these. Splinter then produces two sighs with red handles from his backpack. He finishes up by telling Raphael that they walk a path of peace now, and violence is only as a last resort. Leonardo again thanks Master and says he does not have a gift for him. Splinter says, My sons were taken from me, and now they are returned. To be reunited with one's family. Is that not the greatest gift of all? Flashes of Casey Jones standing over his mother's grave with a single rose lying in the snow. He casts a sad shadow on the grave, and flashed to April O'Neil, joyously hugging her mother, happily reunited with her from being at school. Donatello has a further question for his father. Father, uh, I do have a question, though. How exactly did you know Raphael's favorite color was red? 
Splinter tells him, An excellent question, Donatello, and one of many I'm sure you all have for me. There is much I have kept from you, much you deserve to know. Sit near me, my sons, as I will share with you a most amazing tale. The last panel of the book has Master Splinter and the four turtles sitting cross-legged on the ground in a circle. The foreground, a small Christmas tree, stands on the table. The tree has four colored lights, one purple, one red, one blue, one orange. On top of the table lay three red masks. This is the end of issue number five. So next in correct reading order is actually the IDW Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles micro series number one, uh, Raphael. So I'm going to start in on this one. This should actually take place just after issue number five, but before issue number six. It's written by Brian Lynch with art by Frank Uru. And I absolutely love the, co the cover by uh, David Peterson. So really cool. Raphael and Casey are taking uh, care of some mass robbers who are attempting to break into a locked building with some bolt cutters. Raphael jacks one up against the wall while Casey has one in a headlock. Hey, Raph, I think this guy's crying! Raph tells us that his brothers are across the city making their nightly patrols, but tonight is Wednesday, and he does his patrols with Casey on Wednesday nights. He says Casey's a good kid from a bad part of town, so they cleaned up Casey's neighborhood. After they finish with the robbers, Casey has some deep questions for Raph. You could have gone on patrol with your brothers, you know. Raph is less interested in this conversation than Casey, and it makes him a bit standoffish. Casey thinks that Raph is missing out on spending time with his brothers, who spent all that time looking for him. And they seem and they seem to be awesome and supportive. And they seem to be awesome and supportive. They're awesome and supportive and there for you, you know, uh, mutant ninjas. How's that feel? It feels uh it feels you know, fine. Casey's not sure that his friend understands how lucky he is. Raphael jumps off the roof to avoid the conversation. Raph thinks to himself, What's with Casey tonight? He, uh, he wants to talk? I just want action. The silence is broken up by gunshots. Blam, blam, blam! Casey calls Raph over to, to get his attention. Some more shots ring out. Blam, blam, blam! Then two more. They both look down at a chase in progress in the alleyway below. Two large men chasing a very slender figure in a hooded cloak and wrapped completely in bandages. These men are dressed and appear to be the humans that will become Rocksteady and Bebop, right down to the purple mohawk and the green army helmet with the goggles on it. Uh, for any fans of the original cartoon series, that is. The figure dodges uh, some shots with a leap over a parked car until they run into a dead-end alley. Almost free, they leap into once again to scale the fence into the alley, but Bebop grabs the leg and pulls them down. Where do you think you're going, freak? He's rewarded with a knee to his face. Ow! Then Rocksteady drops a hammer fist, flooring the much smaller person they were chasing. As Rocksteady leans in, he says, Calm down! I can hit harder, so don't push it! Raph jumps down, backfisting the lug with a thwack. I can hit harder, too! Push it! Bebop throws a punch at the back of Raph's skull, but he slips it and grabs his arm and judo flips him onto the flat of his back, followed by a punch to the jaw to finish him off. Rocksteady gets up and makes for his gun. One lucky punch can't stop me. I'm a friggin' juggernaut. I'm a goddamn rhyme. Ooh! He doesn't get to finish as Casey takes him out with a whoomp of his baseball bat. Uh, for future reference, two lucky shots do the trick. Raph asks the one that they were chasing. Hey, uh, little guy, it's okay. They respond with, are they out? Are you sure? Revealing a small, slender female fox mutant with white fur and a purple butterfly mask over her face. She has gloves, wrapped legs, and a dark gray cloak and orange eyes. She is startled and rustled past the two, surprised they were not pursuing her. Raph tells Casey that she seems to be a girl and a snow fox. They tell her she can go if she wants to. Again surprised that they were not here to hurt her, she tells them her name is Alapex. She gives them a brief synopsis of what she can remember. My name is Alapex. I really don't remember much else. I have a flickering memories of another life. It shows a picture of a white arctic fox in the snow. Before they came, they took me. They wanted to chase me. I wasn't the only animal there, but I was the first animal to understand them. The scenes show a lab with a fox receiving a shot from a syringe. The scared fox in a cage listening to the men speak. If they had understood how smart I'd become, I escaped. Since then, they've sent all sorts of men to reclaim me. Hunters, martial artists, bounty hunters... These two came the closest to grabbing me, and that's only because I haven't eaten or slept in days. And you, 
Well, my name's Raphael, and that's pretty much all you're gonna get. Sorry, not gonna go origin for origin. Not my thing. She understood, looked sad, had a sad look on her face. Raphael says that his brothers would probably tell him all about themselves, and he knows uh, Master Splinter would help Alapex as well. He asked her to trust him and place a blindfold over her eyes. Casey says that he will call the cops, and uh, they'll pick up the goons in the alley. I guess I'll be at my house uh, alone. Yeah. Raph places uh, her on his back and takes off across the rooftops. He asks if she can remember where the lab is, but he, he tells her that he's not going to take her there. He's going to take her to his home first to meet his family. He thinks about what Splinter would say and thinks for a good moment about how her kick looked a bit professional. He uh, has a suspicion that he might be getting played, and he has to know for sure. On a hunch, he drops Alapex off the side of a building. She gets scared, and she removes her blindfold and digs her razor-sharp claws into the building's brick exterior. As she descends and does a backflip, landing on her feet in the alley below. You saved me so you could drop me? What are you? I would have caught you if you needed it, but you didn't, did you? When did you figure me out? Raphael thinks seconds ago, but says, The moment I laid eyes on you. He says he was not buying the damsel in distress routine, not from an arctic fox who has good hearing and sense of smell even when blindfolded. She recoils and throws a, valley, a volley of shurikens at Raph. He tells her that she's more like likely an errand girl, and that one strikes a nerve. Alapex ducks a high kick, and her claws clash against his sides, creating sparks. She disarms him with a quick kick to his midsection. She tells him, You talk too much. You think I'm bad. You should meet my brothers. Yep, yep, yep. Fine, we'll do it your way. Let's cut the chit-chat, Raph says to her. This connects. He connects with a right punch to her, her face with a thwack, followed by a spinning kick to her jaw with a thunk. Raph, who sent you? Because I would like a little word. Alapex says something a bit cryptic. Right, let me just bring them you to them. That'll go over well. No, don't think so. To be continued. She throws a flash bomb on the ground, blinding Raph, and Alapex is gone. You hear a bit more from Raphael as he tries to process the encounter. That night I don't go home. Have to make sure that the fox isn't following me. When I'm confident she's gone, I go home. Tell my brothers what happened. And Leonardo, he formulates a plan in seconds. It's kind of impressive. From now on, we go out two at a time minimum. They knew to plant Alapex because Raphael is a regular in that part of town. So from now on, we stagger the locations. Never the same two areas two nights in a row. And Raphael... Stay away from there for a while. That night I break Leo's orders two times. Raph speaks with Casey and explains it was a setup. Casey knew since the two men were never picked up by the police. Raph says that he needs to stick close by his brothers. Casey understands and says he'll see him around. Why are you acting like this is goodbye? You ain't walking away. I'm dragging you into this. Uh, are you serious? Afraid so. You're one of the family, like it or not. Suddenly you have four new brothers. Casey cracks a bit of a smile when Raph says this. Raph finishes up with, Word of warning, though. Uh, you know, they're really supportive and there for you. Casey adds, And, uh, mutant ninjas. <laughs> that, too. Elsewhere, Alapex kicks a punching bag in frustration. Bebop says, You didn't have to kick me in the face. Alapex replies, Had to sell it, didn't I? You idiot. Rocksteady, still wearing his helmet, says the only reason that they keep losing is because they are mutants and he would have taken them down if he had a level playing field. Alapex seems confused by this complaining, and Bebop asks, Yeah, well, when do we get to change already? A shadow looms in the doorway, silencing the chatter from there. Silence, Cretan! You will be changed when the Master wills it. The last panel is of a ninja in a hood holding a katana blade. His shadow projects an image behind him of what we know of the Shredder. That's the end of the micro-series number one, Raphael. Next on the reading list will be the Michelangelo issue number two of the micro-series. Next in the reading order is the micro-series number two, Michelangelo. It's called The Dresden Heist. I'm actually going to just read the book out as there's a lot that is kind of left to just uh, reading it. And it's kind of a heist, so it's going to be kind of interesting. I'm just going to go with it. We start out with the setting. It's uh, New Year's Eve, and there's a movie marathon. And uh, Mikey has been here just watching uh, these movies. Looks like he's watching some... Um, uh, some movies like romantic comedies or something like that. Last sunset of the year. I'm totally missing it. But it's cool. I've been here all day and for one low price. So I've earned a lot. For instance, tonight, New Year's Eve, way important. Whatever you're doing that night, it sets the stage for the following year. 
So most people, well, most people, movie people, tend to do it partying. Happy New Year, baby. And then there's kissing. It's also dramatic. I love you. As the two people on the screen kiss, Mikey looks at it longingly. And now, now I feel the pressure to do something tonight. Mikey leaves. Time's running out. It's almost midnight and I have no plans. None at all. Just once, I want to take a break from being Michelangelo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and I want to be Michelangelo Party Dude. Shows Michelangelo, now wearing full mask, holding a satchel, and jumping over the uh, revelers and partying for uh, people in Times Square. If I go home right now, tonight, it's going to be just like every night. Donnie's going to be want uh, some help fixing something. Aha! Uh-huh. A kernel-level application created a mismatch of thread in asynchronous procedure call indexes. I bet this is a file system mismatch. It's elementary. Uh-huh. Leo's gonna run drills for hours. Go faster. Three more blocks, and then we'll take a break. Kidding. We'll do it blindfolded. Uh-huh. Raphael will school me in fighting and trash-talking. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Come on, big man. Take a step up. Make your move. I love my brothers, but tonight's gonna be different. Still, can't just walk into a party. Or... Shows a man in a reptile suit, looks like a Godzilla suit, in his costume on his cell phone. Nice party that totally accepts mutant reptiles. Wait, oh yeah, pretty sure it's a costume. Uh, it, it, it's Carl, I, I can't go through with this. Heck yes, I'm nervous. I, I'm a computer programmer. This is a bunch of people I've met once, and I'm supposed to trust them? This guy does not like to party. Mikey leans over and snaps off his, uh, his bracelet for his invitation. Hmm... If Carl's going to be a wallflower, someone should enjoy themselves. He picks it up, and then we see him at the front of the line. Hmm. Hey, Happy New Year, a fiesta in a museum. I can dig it. We can learn while we party. Hey, like my costume? It's animatronic. That explains my mouth moving right now. Yup, I check out. As he walks past the line, walks into the room of the museum, and can see the giant T-Rex skeleton. This is awesome. Easily the greatest and definitely the first party I've ever been to. Why, yes, I would like a mini pizza pocket, thank you. Mikey grabs the entire tray. Carl, is that you? The night keeps getting better and better. Mikey's stuffing his face with pizza pockets. A woman standing in a cat outfit. Black mask, black ears, black leotard with a uh, satchel belt and um, looks like a utility belt, all in leopard print. Carl, you said that you were going to go as a giant lizard. You're, You're not a lizard, you're a turtle. Thank you for saying that. Some people generalize, and that hurts. If you're done wasting time, we have somewhere to be. Cat lady, you are forward. Don't you want to, like, buy me a drink first? I'm here, like, two minutes, and I'm already invited to a super exclusive VIP party. They slink away and head up the stairs. You're late. A man dressed as a Zorro with a purple shirt next to a giant gorilla-looking man in a mime outfit and a fairy princess holding a tablet computer. Mood just changed. New Year's Eve party. New Year's Eve sulky book club. At the risk of becoming the nerd of the group, I don't think we should be up here. Quiet, Carl. You're already on my list. Now let's make this quick. Camera's located. I'm ready. Uh, as uh, they shoot out some gas grenades to um, take out some guards. Definitely not a book club. What the? The guards go down. The cameras get taken out by a a flurry of bullets from the woman in the cat suit. All right, whatever's going on, I can handle it. I'm a ninja. Mikey pulls out his his nunchucks. What the heck? Camera's out, guard's out. Zoro Zoro seems to have taken them out. What the heck? Okay, deep breath. They're not killing anyone. Just find out what's going on. Play it cool for now, Mikey. Uh, I'm fine with all this, just so you guys know. As they walk past the smoke. Next is, Carl, you're up. Righto, uh, for what? Just, uh, kid me, uh, tell me. That'll be funny. Take out the sensors and get us to Dresden. The Dresden diamond is a giant green diamond that's uh, behind an array of lasers that seem to uh, stop people from being able to steal it. Michelangelo's looking down the corridor. Here you go, buddy. Work your hacker magic, the fairy princess says. Okay, this will be too easy. Crime is crime, and I'm smack dab in the middle of it. No idea what to do. No idea. Uh, a kernel-level application created a mismatch of thread and asynchronous procedures call indexes. I bet it's a file system mismatch. It's elementary. Uh, drat. I knew how to hack the old system, but a kernel-level application created a thread mash and a synchronicity call index thing. Bottom line, full-on system mismatch. It's elemental. Bummer. I know. The man brandishes a knife in the Zorro suit. 
Wake up a guard, and we'll torture him into shutting them down this system. No, stealing is one thing, but torture is a whole new level, says the woman with the with the uh, cat outfit. Few fun facts about me. I rob and I kill. A lot. The law doesn't scare me. The guy who hired us for this job, that's who freaks me out. We pull this off and we're on his good side. We don't, we're dead. So get me a guard. No need to hurt anyone. Come on, faster. Three more blocks and then we're taking a break. Kidding, we'll do it blindfolded. Hmm. Mikey thinks of Leo now. I can do this. Mikey jumps and misses all the lasers by skipping them, remembering the training that he did with his brother. Thank you, Leo. Carl is a computer guy, right? I thought so. Almost there. Laser to my left. Boop. Mikey pulls his head into his shell. Boop. Pops it out. I love being a <clears throat> guy dressed like a turtle. And then this must be the Dresden. Dig its color. It's, uh, Mikey stands over a... Uh, glass case that has the Dresden diamond in it, and you can see the eerie glow of the fluorescent lights on him as the room behind him is dark, except for the lasers. Now, just gotta nab it without setting off the alarms. Or, he smashes the case with his nunchucks. Maybe setting off the alarms wouldn't be the worst thing. What the? Sorry, mass people downstairs must be freaking out. Cops will be here in no time. Whoop, whoop, whoop. What's that sound? It's midnight. Yay! Time to exit stage left. Time to make it to the window. Just make it to the window. Carl's gone rogue. He hasn't gone rogue. He's a cop. Totally a cop. Yeah. Oh, man, I was deep undercover, too, but you saw right through it. As he dodges a swipe from the man with the knife. So stop all this horseplay, and we'll take you easy on you downtown. He does a leapfrog over the uh, mime person. Then the Zorro man pulls a gun on him. If you leave with that diamond, I will go downstairs, and I will start killing people. Touche, mass psycho. I can't have that. Then he remembers Raphael. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Come on, big man. Step up. Make your move. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Threatening partygoers? Pathetic. I've been listening to you flap your gums all night about how big and bad you are. Well, come on, man. Step up. Make your move. Right here. Right now. Right round one. Blunk. He drops the gun. Gladly. Waving him to come on. Woof. Takes a, a swing at Michelangelo. Oof. You got me. Not even close. I laid on thick curses as he flies out the window, presenting like he had been punched and fell out the window. Gone! Impressive hit. Looked like you barely touched him. I didn't. And now the cat is gone, too. We need that diamond. Do you know what he's going to do if we fail him? The two of you get down to that alley and find the lizard. Where are you going? I've got a hunch. Just wait in that alley. You see Mikey's hand holding over the side of the ledge of the rooftop. Okay, Turtle's almost in the clear. One anonymous call to the police, and I can call it a, uh... The Catwoman stands over him with a with a gun on the roof. That was the worst fake hit I've ever seen. Give me the Dresden. Aw, oh, come on. Shoot a cop, go to jail for like a thousand years, that's the law. Carl, I'm a cop, and if you were one with any organization, I would know. Who are you really with? Um, uh, the organization directly above yours, so put the gun down. You play it like you're the best neighborhood watch, uh, but you don't have any idea how dangerous the man we're stealing this for is. Totally, but recap for me. The guys who have owned this city for years are scurrying out of his way. He's got big... He's big. He's got a number of scary followers. Do you know how deep you are? But I've spent months trying to get close to do this, and I need that diamond, so idiot, give me that. Okay, when did you steal my gun? Mikey holds her gun in his hand. He's telling her to calm down. When you were talking, I think it was like between you and idiot. All right, seriously, lizard, kitten, enough with the games. Whoa, masked man gets five points for stealth. And ten for popularity, as they're surrounded by all his men. They seem to have guns trained on them. This is my real gang. I had to leave them out of the heist. They're not much for stealth, but they are really good at maiming, torturing, and killing. So let's wrap this up before the ball drops. Hand over to Dresden. Wait a moment. What would my brothers do? What would Splinter do? They're not here, so... It's just me, Michelangelo. Mikey takes takes a swipe. Get down, la cat lady! At the, the man in the gun. These dudes are trained, no doubt, as they're firing at him. They can't seem to hit him, though. Probably used to all sorts of karate and kung fu. Probably faced an injury or two. As he starts taking them out with his nunchucks, he's doing some spinning maneuvers, and then he finally does a backflip over the edge. But they haven't seen anything like me! Masked man! Ugh! He throws, he throws another one of the men right at him as uh, the masked man, uh, dressed as Zorro, punches the back of the uh, woman in the cat's outfit's head. Step away from the cat, you tool! He actually gets the better of Mikey here and uh, elbow drops right to the back of his head, then puts his foot up to Mikey's face and says, Give it to me. All right, dude, all right, you got it. 
New Year's Eve, so dramatic, whack. At the stroke of twelve, he hits the man in the face with the Dresden diamond, knocking him unconscious. That man was the last of the standing goons. You okay? Yeah, what? That was, that was... I know, right? And here you go, as he hands her the Dresden diamond. Thank you, Carl. Uh, name's Mike, cat lady. Name's Kara, Mike. A lot of trouble over a diamond, even though it's totally the best color. The reason for color, uh, the reason for the scary guy wants it is prolonged exposure to radiation. I know it's weird, but I've kind of been told that guy's obsessed with it. Listen, the cops are going to be here, so you should... Oh, see you, Mike. And he's already disappeared. I better get home. All in all, good New Year's. Went to a party, got to play the hero. Can't wait to tell my brothers. I'll leave out the part about the New Year's handshake, though. Don't want them to be too jealous of my night. Back in the alley, the princess and the mime stand there. How long are we supposed to wait down here? I kind of want to go home. The end. And that is the end of the micro-series number two issue, Michelangelo, The Dresden Heist, which was written by Brian Lynch with art by Andy Coombe. All right, I am back with Mr. Andy Doyle, and we're going to give our reactions on uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issues number five, the Raphael miniseries, and the Michelangelo miniseries. So, Andy, uh, what did you think of uh, issue five? Well, that was uh, that was. I don't want to say it was a tough read, but it it definitely. I would agree with the sentiment that it is a tough read. Absolutely. Um, and one of the big things that I wanted to come across with this podcast was how different the origin was for this IDW series. It was something that you and I talked about. Yeah, it, 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 it wasn't badly written. It's that's that that's not why it's uh that's not why I say it was a hard read. It was just very is a very emotional issue. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the the whole thing, I, I've read ahead a little bit to see what was going on with uh, the Foot Clan, and there's another book that we'll be covering soon called The Secret the Secret Life of the, of the Foot Clan, and it goes into a little bit more of this. I was very glad that I had read that before this, because I kind of knew what was going on, and it gets a lot deeper, which is insane. So, and, and just like to tell you where, like, shredder is coming from and where he's going and all that and everything kind of dovetails into like another piece and just to have like hamato yoshi and you see him and he looks like splinter as a person like with the mustache and all that like i thought it was really cool at least that was my take on it yeah i know it sounds pretty cool i have to look forward to coming um, across that and I mean, that's it, it gave me some flashbacks to the movie, like when when uh, Tang Shen and all that was was in there. And, you know, uh, and I, I kept thinking, then he saw her lying on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was that was kind of crazy. But um, yeah, otherwise, I mean, really, really interesting the way that they told the story between the flashbacks. And I like how they have the um, like the allusions to, oh, uh, same old, same old kind of stuff so yeah um i don't know how much else to say about number five it, it's it's very necessary in terms of the the origin of the turtles like um i'd say almost more important than some of the other issues because it, it tells you a bit about them but um let's see so we also did the micro series uh issue number one with Raphael. it's kind of it's it's uh it's one of those things where it gives us the first appearance of Alapex, who is going to be a very important character going forward. Alapex is a Arctic fox who is a mutant who is apparently working for some organization that we will find out a little bit later on. It's a lot of Casey and Raphael. It's just basically okay. Let's expand a little bit more upon their relationship and just Raph and Casey are you know patrolling the area. They find Alapex and they figure out it's a setup. And then Raph figures out, he's like, I'm not going to try to save Casey. I'm going to try to bring Casey into the fold. That's basically what this one is. It's a really good issue. It's it's art is good. The dialogue is always good. So I, I hope um, people get a chance to read it. But that is technically right before issue number six. So, but yeah, I mean, and we actually really get a look at uh, <laughs> we get a look at the human Bebop and Rocksteady. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes, we do. And I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing too. It's they're going to come in and be a force of nature eventually. Because they are. I like the. Uh, I like their outfits too. I like that they went back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And, and the thing that gets me too is that clearly they're going for the cartoon on this. And it's like you have Bebop who is wearing an open shirt and vest, you know, in the middle of winter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I have to laugh a little bit. I'm like, I know what you're going for, but it's like, am I completely buying this? No. Yeah, but I love it. Yeah, that was, that was pretty fun. So, and, and I mean, um, I, I liked I liked the portrayals and I, I had a little fun doing the voices there for that one. But um, so I was interested in um the Michelangelo, the Dresden heist, the heist book with Mikey, where this is the first time in the entire series we get to see a Mikey being funny and goofy and just having fun and all that. Like, uh, what what do you think? I mean, um, are we oh, gonna yeah, like this Mikey? In the, when he's still in the pizza pockets off the the uh, the not the butler, the um, the caterer's tray. <laughs> I love that. I, I love, like, from the beginning of this, you know, you see Mikey, like, sitting, looking longingly at the movie screen and all that. And, and it's like, he didn't even care what he went to go see. And he ends up going to see, like, this all-day movie marathon on New Year's Eve. You know? It, it's just, um, he's such a goof. He is. Yeah, he, and- that's why he's my favorite. <laughs> I like I like this one. Like there's there's certain spots like in in this one where it's like he he uh, like the Zorro guy goes to hit him and he like jumps out the window. He's like, oh, you got me good. And I'm like, that's like so classic. You know, he just does these things and like without even thinking what he's doing. And I, I don't. It was just a lot of fun characterization for this. So I, I would I would say this is probably my favorite of um, of the books uh, with Michelangelo in it thus far. And and I'll see. Um, I haven't read the other micro series yet, but it might might end up being my favorite of the micro series. Yeah, I think Leo's hidden back here a little further than the rest. Yeah, he's way back here after issue uh, issue eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, the reading order is a little bit different. So, you know, I just like to give the listeners a chance to uh, figure out what's going on. And, you know, they, they were saying that micro series for RAF should go before number five. And I'm like, that's impossible because they they have different color masks and RAF has its size. So it has to go after number five. So, oh, and we didn't even talk about that, that the turtles get their uh, different colored masks at the end of uh, number five and Raph gets his size. So that was that was a, a huge monumental thing to happen. Oh, yeah. I like how I like how he was like, yeah, Splinter just gave them to us one day. Like, you know, the, the weapons, the, the masks were a Christmas present, but uh, the weapons, it was like, you know, yeah, Splinter just gave them to us one day. And and I know it's cheesy, but you you and I do talk about our favorite panels. But um, cheesy to me. But my favorite panel is at the end of uh, number five, where you have all four turtles and Splinter sitting, you know, um, lotus position on the floor, while there's a Christmas tree with the three discarded red masks on it, and the the four lights on the Christmas tree are blue, red, orange, and purple. Complete cheese. I admit it. But um, that hit me, and I was just like, I like this. So, <laughs> yeah, I like the I like the panel where Amato Yoshi's carrying. Uh, I, I assume it's Donatello uh, and Raphael, and Leonardo's carrying Tiny Baby Mikey. It, it, that's a great one too, because it's like, okay, you see. You know, Leonardo is the oldest and he's the, the one who's going to be responsible like his father. And it's like you see the characterizations in there and you still see these kids as characters that will become the Turtles. And that's so important. So that that's a great panel. And I mean, they lived 11 years in the mountains. So, you know, before they got caught, I'm like that's that's a big deal. That's what makes them these teenagers. Because we don't know how old the actual turtle bodies are, but, you know, in their minds, they're teens. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I think it's, it's good. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what, uh, if we get some feedback on what our uh, listeners think of these books. Oh yeah. Most definitely. I, I think, I think the, uh, well, at least the feedback that I've been receiving has all been positive. And in fact, the entire community we've built, um, has been nothing but positive. I haven't seen anyone being, um, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of like a rotten Teenage Mutant Ninja. No one's been a rotten Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle or crooked. <laughs> no one's been I'm a muck sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no one's been uh if um if you want to join in on the discussion with us, you can uh, get in touch with us a couple ways. You can uh, seek us out on social media. You can check us out in our Facebook group. Uh, Andy, that's called Epic Shells, right? Yes, Epic Shells. It started off as a pun and it's stuck. And um, you can also send an email to epictalesfromthesewers at gmail.com. You can send us a voicemail and we'll put you on the show. All right, Mr. Andy, I'm going to thank you for joining me on, uh, on this episode. Um, and we'll get into uh, some other things in a moment. But thanks for your reactions on these issues. You are most welcome. Thank you for bringing me along. I always value our time together. It's pizza time. And now in a segment we'd like to call Pizza Time, here's Mr. Andy Doyle with a real-life pizza recipe from the Ninja Turtles cookbook or a description of one of the pizzas that was either seen in the episode or in the comic. It's Pizza Time. Cowabunga, dudes! It's time for the pizza recipe of the week. Michelangelo here with your New York-style pizza sauce recipe. This thick cooked-down sauce makes a great base for all sorts of topping combinations. And yes, it's even my favorite. Ingredients you're going to want to grab are... 128 ounce can of whole peeled tomatoes, one tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil, one tablespoon of unsalted butter, one fourth cup of finely diced yellow onion, one large clove of garlic minced or pressed, one tablespoon of finely chopped oregano, one teaspoon of sugar, a half teaspoon of salt, freshly ground black pepper. Instructions. Dump the tomatoes and their juices into a large deep dish bowl and squash the tomatoes with your hands until all of them are crushed into small pieces. Step 2. Heat the oil and butter in a medium saucepan over medium heat. When the butter is completely melted, then you can add the onion. Cook 3-5 to five minutes or until soft. Then add the garlic and then cook for an additional 30 seconds. Just until fragrant, dudes. Step 3. Pour the crushed tomatoes into a pan along with the oregano. Stir salt, pepper, sugar, and stir well. Reduce heat to a low simmer. Partially cover for one hour until sauce reaches its desired consistency. Remove from the pan and heat and let the sauce come to room temperature before using, dudes. Hey, did you know the first license to make and sell pizza in the United States was issued in 1905? The man who owned a pizza shop on Spring Street in New York City is still open to this very day. If you're ever in New York and want to pay homage to pizza history. Matt here from the YouTube channel The Duo Finds and resident turtle toy expert on the smash hit podcast Geek Life HQ. I had to get some shameless plugs in there. But with those out of the way, we're going to use this time and this segment to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys. Say that five times fast. Let's dig in. I like turtles. Today we're going to be talking about the Technodrome, a.k.a. the bad guy lair. This thing came out in 1990, and it retailed for $49.99, super expensive at the time. The artwork in the box is pretty amazing. It looks just like the Technodrome on the cartoon. You've got Bebop blasting the gun on the side. You have a couple of the turtles crawling up. You got Shredder kicking out Donatello. And then you have the inset shot of the kid posing behind the thing. Man, that is awesome, dude. I wish that could have been me in this picture playing with this thing and then if i zoom in on the top left of the box it says technodrome the gigantic double decker mobile fortress and then it says three mutant play areas inside spring-loaded brain scrambler turtle smashing i spy radar turtle mutation chamber and tons more turtle tenderizing traps that's a mouthful on the back of the box you have an actual shot of the Technodrome. It's it's a little more accurate than the sewer was. I know they used a prototype for that. This looks like the actual Technodrome. And then I love all of these inset shots of the different play areas. 
and how it describes them. This toy has a lot of fun features. Digging for information, I found a commercial for the Technodrome. Let's listen to it now. It's turtle soup time. That's so funny. Shredder's voice is so off on that commercial. It doesn't sound anything like the actor who does it on the cartoon TV show. But if you guys want to watch that commercial, head on over to YouTube and search Technodrome Toy Commercial 1990 TV number nine. Let us know what you think. All right, let's get into the toy, man. Let's get into the features of this beast, this beast of a toy. Number one for me is size, size, size. This thing splits open into two halves with a ton of features. Number two, turtle smashing eye spy radar. The thing flips down, the eyeball pops out and rolls down like a bowling ball, hitting the turtles like bowling pins. Number three, the mutant gel cell turtle trap trick door with actual working gel cell doors they close they open there's a trap door that the turtles fall down to in the cell pretty awesome number four spring loaded brain scrambler i don't think it came with a rubber band in the box but you could rubber band the turtles to the actual brain scrambler spin it up and it would spin them like a record. Number five is Krang has a seat. The bottom of the Krang action figure has a hole and he fits nice and snug into his spinning throne. I just think that's a cool feature to incorporate the action figures into the playset. The Technodrome was the holy grail of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys and I didn't get one as a child. I don't remember any of my friends having it either. And I always wanted one. I always wanted to play with it. And I don't know if it was the fact that it was just too expensive. Or maybe myself and my friends were just a little bit too old and growing out of the turtle fad. Present day market of the Technodrome. This one can get a little expensive. Your best bet is going on eBay. You may have some luck at thrift stores. But I myself have never seen it at a store. Garage sales. You know what? You can get lucky. I've seen people online get these for a steal at a garage sale. But you know what they say. You got to get there early to get the deals. Numbers, baby. Let's talk figures. You can get lucky, like I said, at a garage sale. Get one of these for dirt cheap. But most likely, you're going to pay between $160 to $180 for a loose Technodrome. And you're going to be missing a lot of parts. Another loose number, 220 to 250. You're missing less parts than normally one or two small parts boxed. This thing is a whopping 350 to $700 depending on the condition of the box or if it was never opened. The empty box can sell for anywhere between 175 to 250 dollars just for the freaking box man crazy tip it a tip tip a tip a tip tips let's talk tips always try to buy it as complete as you can find it because loose single parts cost anywhere between 10 and upwards of 75 dollars depending on the part things to look out for when you're buying the technodrome are missing parts there are a lot of them the eyeball on top the mutant manacle cuffs on the black intercom connection bridge the red ooze dripping scanner it's the one right above the bed krang's red escape hatch the spiked back portal cover and gel cell doors are always missing other things to look out for when buying the technodrome are yellowing of the gray dome the technodrome splits in half there's two pieces and there's that middle section it's sometimes a different shade of gray just you know look out for that because you can't fix it once you buy it always take a look at the hinges where the halves open and close sometimes they are broke and sometimes they just don't line up and where it locks on the top of the technodrome sometimes that's a little offset so it's always going to look wonky so be sure to check that out always look at the sticker placement because they can make or break the price when you buy the technodrome stickers being in the wrong spot stickers looking like crap stickers peeling off 
My personal Technodrome I purchased had crappy stickers and I just took them completely off with Gugan and I purchased reproduction sticker sheets from eBay for $21.99. You get all three full sticker sheets. You can also find them on ebluejay.com for $7.50 each sheet plus shipping. And the one thing to know about reproduction sticker sheets like this is you have to cut the stickers out yourselves and that can be a little tedious, but if you do it right, the thing will look brand new. I like turtles. All right, guys, I just want to say thanks for listening. And uh, if you have any questions about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle toys, shoot me an email at theduofinds at gmail.com. I will be happy to answer any of your questions. Turtle power and keep on playing. All right, dudes. And now with your Mikey moment of the week, here is the bodacious... Andy Doyle! Cowabunga! Whoa. Cowabunga, dudes! It's time for your Mikey moment of the week. This week, grab yourself a snack, because we're taking a look into Mikey's psyche. He likes to give animal crackers and goldfish cookies funny little stories and names. What a radical dude. Have a great week, guys. Thank you for listening to the Epic Tales from the Sewers podcast. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. This podcast has no affiliation with Eastman, Laird, IDW, Archie Comics, Nickelodeon Studios, or any other turtle properties. This podcast is part of the Epic Sewers podcast network. Check out our other great shows, both turtle-related and not. Epic Tales from the Sewers is recorded by Justin Cooper, with featuring Andy Doyle. <laughs> Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. And we all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. <laughs> With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Terrificon, Connecticut's number one Comic-Con is back at Mohegan Sun on July 30th to August 1st. Meet actors and superheroes. Shop for cool stuff. It's three days of Comic-Con fun. Terrificon, Connecticut's number one Comic-Con at Mohegan Sun, July 30th through August 1st. Learn more at Terrificon.com.